Welcome to Men Are Nuts, a podcast about mental health, emotional health, psychological health, and physical health awareness in men and society. First, it started with MAN, M-A-N, acronym for Men Are Nuts. And we have a very special guest on the show for you today. Can you introduce yourself? I can indeed. My name is Mick Webb. Uh, I've got a very varied background, and they, uh, but for many years now I've worked among children, youths, adults, uh, with varied degrees of, uh, of capability and problems in life, because we all have those problems, and they now culminated to a point where I'm, I'm writing a book, uh, I'm heavily involved with uh, children's welfare, so uh, I think it's something that uh, is very passionate about, but something that we all need to be far more aware of. We spoke, you know, we spoke a little bit earlier about, and we, you know, some of the things that you, not some of the things, the things that we're speaking about and what you spoke about really resonates with me. Um, whereabouts are you living, or whereabouts are you from? I live in Surrey, in England, down near London. Yeah. Uh, but I'm from the north of England originally, from Leeds. Right. Uh, and so I've had a last 28 years of being down here. I'm 61 now. Yeah. But I've had a great comparison between yourself from, from Nottingham and you know from the north of England to the south of England some things are far different but there are similarities which remain the same and certainly mental health issues doesn't matter where you are I would imagine like I experience around the world but I would imagine wherever you are in the world people are facing the same problems yeah I mean, I mean I've, I've, I've always used the terminology of you know we're all mental health and is what it's what um, on a daily basis, even a minute by minute basis, what tips us one way or the other um, in terms of how we think, how we feel um, um, on a regular basis. Um, so you you live in Surrey. You've, you're from Leeds. Um, are, you, are you big into sports, football, anything like that? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm, pardon me, but you may turn it off now. I'm, uh, I'm a mad Leeds United supporter. Born and bred there. My dear old dad when I was younger we had a season ticket at Ellen Road and uh, of course I've even corrupted my son who's 25 now he's a Leeds United supporter as well so uh, yeah any sport uh, but yeah I'm a, I'm a passionate Leeds supporter and how do you how do you feel they've just gone they've just now they've, yeah Premiership yeah, yeah, after 16 years of back in the Premiership, we've got an, an incredible manager who can set an example to us all in Marcelo Bielsa. Uh, he's this wonderfully humble guy uh, from Argentina, a world-renowned football coach, held in the, the highest esteem by fellow coaches. Lives in a one-bedroom flat above a sweet shop in a little town of Weatherby in Yorkshire, not far from the training ground there. Doesn't turn anybody away from a selfie. He's part of the community and I look at him and think, doesn't matter how much you paid, doesn't matter how famous you may be, to retain the, the, the human being instinct, I think, is a wonderful thing. Yeah. How, how did you, how, how was your mental health at the time when Leeds, did they make the, was it making the Champions League? Made the Champions League? We did, yeah, yeah, 1975, I think we got to a final there, and then of course the great young team of the, uh, the 90s got yeah. through to the semi-final, got beat by Valencia. Yeah. Uh, I think when you're a mental health issue. How did you feel about the collapse of that? The, the, the oh, last, last, last year was last year was a real test. In fact, I saw my someone. I've got to a point now, Andy, where I'm a I'm a passionate lead supporter, but I also do it with a balanced mentality. Yeah, yeah. But I looked at my son how he reacted when they fell apart at the end of the season of playoffs last year, and it made me reflect back all those years to when I was 25. Yeah. 
uh, he was heartbroken. You know, he's so happy because it means so much to you. You know, I, I, I see it now in, in a different light. You know, in fact, I almost see winning as a as a pointless principle because once you've won, where do you go then? You know, it's almost like you know you win you win the cup whatever sport it will be you win a gold medal and you've got it and it becomes a thing of the past the second you've got it so i look at it now that life is a, a second to second principle now where i just enjoy every second so if they win it's great if they're done i think i've learned the ability to move on for the next time of which we've just had a goals yeah and i'm just thinking i just thought then when you said that that and obviously there was this would correspond with how we think as as humans say humans yeah and how we think is that you just said something there about when you've won you've won it you've got the medal and then what what's the, what is the next thing is there another medal there do you know what I mean I don't mean is a medal today and there's another medal tomorrow is, is that's it once you've won the medal you've won it haven't you and you always you are yeah and so I think, I think it's a great problem that people have had in life as well when you get this I think Paul Gascoigne Football is a is a glowing example of that. You know, for a guy that suffers anxieties, often they can be fueled by by other abuses as well. Sadly, he always felt the, the most comfortable in front of a big crowd because that was that was his confidence. Even though it would terrify people in front of fifty thousand supporters, he felt confident to do that. When that was taken away from him, so almost that point, you won your gold medal, you're gone now. And I think this happens in many things in life. Yeah. Wherever you go, you've got an emptiness, yeah. and unless you can find fulfilment. That emptiness can become overbearing. Yeah, I just thought that because the other day when when the team I support, Liverpool, they'd won the league, but there was nothing left to pay for, play for, and then there was a series of results where they just, you know, it wasn't like they were being complacent. It was obviously there's something in the human mind that just says, once I've won, what's what's next? There's not there's there's not a strike. There's not a it's almost like you've got that burst, you've got that line. What's next? What's the next line? So yeah, it's interesting to talk about, you know, health. But then obviously, then you've got the balance of the other side of you loss. How does the loss affect? The loss affects you. Is is the loss bigger in a final or in the semi final? Some people would say. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a chicken and egg scenario, isn't it? It's being asked, you know, which is a great loss to get to a final, and at least say you've got to a final. Uh, I think it's a looking forward to bit, which is probably the thing. Semi-final, you're quite excited, you're nervous because if you lose there, you just you've lost with nothing to try to remember. The final, you can get there and lose, and you still can remember you've been in the final. But I think in some ways, probably from a sporting perspective, the loss is greater because you then at, at the final bit, you know, you've almost got that that cup, that medal in your hand, and it's taken away from you. So. Uh, you know, I, I see this in, in many walks in life, Andy. I see it in, in working environments. I think it was the old adage where men would retire at 65, they'd get the gold watch and they'd drop dead the day after yeah. because you'd taken away the, what, what they were used to in life. You know, you'd made such a swift job. It's why I don't believe in uh, in retirement. You know, we run a, I'm a sports coach, so even though at my age, I'm, I'm pretty fit in life. There'll be a certain point where I can't do that. It's why we run our other business because I've got no intention of ever retiring from that. You know, because I can work that from a laptop. But uh, as long as I'm fit to use a laptop, I can always operate it. I had this conversation with somebody today. I don't like the word retirement. Retirement to me is the ending of something. If you don't have something to follow on from that, then it's a, it, it's it's just a desperate end to things. And I think men.
friend retired at 65 in those days uh, and many didn't live very long it's why they could afford to pay pensions some died before because of the stress they were going through uh, now I think we we live in a little bit of a feared world a present fearsome world because of, of the virus situation now but when you sit back and look at it we have got more facilities more technology to make life easier than ever yeah. uh, we've got I look around our house now you know I've got two grown up kids each here with their partner my, my, my daughter and my son he's got his girlfriend she's got a boyfriend we've got a 16 year old who's just starting college they've all got Netflix in the room they've all got a TV in the room you know, Jack our son's got his Playstation in there Emily with her boyfriend's got their Playstation in there we've got facilities where we can keep ourselves entertained but we don't want to immerse ourselves too much into that you know we've got to say right I've got entertainment I can enjoy that film I'm going to watch it now but I've got to make sure I do something more natural as well yeah. Yeah. so we've got the best balance in the world but we don't allow ourselves to appreciate it yeah. Yeah. yeah it's almost like looking for the next best thing like that technology does technology looks for the next best thing and we seem to be moving that way not just in, in a, as a techno, technophobe I mean just as a as a as a human entity we're just looking for the next best thing and I think this 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 um virus thing and being indoors or whatever is is really helped people because it's made them think you know what I need to be outdoors I need that balance I need to be outdoors I need to get a cycle I need to I need to it's made them appreciate it's funny how it takes something like that to make them really look and you know, you could have said it to them blue in the face. You need to get outdoors. You need to get outdoors. You need to. <laughs> yeah. But then. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Kind of just fob you off. And next, this thing happens, and then all of a sudden they're thinking, you know what? I need to be outdoors. Because we do. We, we're humans. We need to be connected to the, the planet. We need to be connected to the, the animals, the, the trees. Um, you know, it's all right being connected to your house. But that's that's not natural. The house isn't a natural thing unless you've built built it out of the natural. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah. yeah. So you're 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 you you've you've worked with children, young people, adults like myself. I've done you know I've done a lot with I've done, done a hell of a lot with um, over the years. Um, how do you how do you see things with mental health and as it as things. Have things changed in terms of not the fact that mental health has changed, people's perspective or people's angle on it? What, what's your thoughts on it? I, I, I think we're more aware of it, but then we can be more aware of it perhaps because we have got this modern technology which thrusts all this information upon us. I think we're living in a world which is controlled under old ideals. I identify in my book at the old seven-way plan that we used to follow where you'd go to school, uh, you'd find a job, you'd meet somebody, you'd get a house, get married, and you'd go through to retirement. That was the old seven-way plan. And we're still thrusting that upon the younger generation when actually all we're doing, with, to, to me, and, and maybe controversial, we're extending education for most people to avoid them going on the unemployment register. You know, I think we we formed it that, that uh, kids now have to go to, to study at college. A-levels won't be. You know, not many go into apprenticeships. They don't pay very much, but not many do. So they go to there. And then, as my daughter, my daughter, who's 20 now, started suffering quite bad anxiety, mental health issues, around 18 when she went to a school who 
had expectations that she would go to university. You will go there. You will do your statement you need to do to go there. And she said, I don't want to go to university. And she had a huge amount of pressure from certain people, staff within that college, to change her mind. To such an extent, we went down there. So this is where we start looking at modern mental health problems. People need to have an expectation of themselves. They need to have a, a, a pride to some degree in who they are. They need to have a character and an identity. Now, to me, and, and I've been around education, I'm a chair of governors at a local junior school, I've been a governor for many, many years. I start looking at the principle of education, I think where many mental health issues are commencing is there. We have a curriculum which is not identifying individuals. I would like to see, we've got a lovely head at our local primary school and we often have uh, much debate. I'd like to see every junior school with an allotment in it. So the kids who are not designed to learn by sitting at a desk can go and plant vegetables and go grow vegetables, get dirty, get wet, whatever. Pick those vegetables and when those friends of theirs at lunchtime are eating those vegetables, wow, don't they feel special because I grew that. It's organic, doesn't it taste nice? Identify individuals. Because I don't care who anybody is. You know, I don't care the colour of the skin, the sexuality, you know, I don't care anything. Provided they're good people, we need to identify them Andy, as good people. Education isn't doing that now. So we push them through this funnel where they're learning stuff which perhaps isn't used in the future. And then we force them to go to college to study things which normally has to be studied in line with the balance of the college. You know, my daughter wants to study a couple of different subjects, and we can do that, but you can't do that because we can't do it at the same time. Okay. Then we push them through expectation to university. There's only one reason why people should go to university, and that's to find a very useful qualification. We need the doctors, the scientists, the nurses. You know, we need these people out there. What we don't need is the 85% of people that run up a massive amount of debt before they've even left university, regardless how they say they're going to pay it back. So they've lived through to 23, 24 years of age with an expectation which hasn't been theirs. They don't have a personal identity. The creativity which is inside everybody, they don't get a chance to express it. And then we wonder why we're in this pressure cooker environment where mental health issues are becoming more and more prevalent. You know, the saddest fact was it? Men 18 to 40, the greatest killer is not any disease or illness, it's mental health issues, it's suicide. suicide it is. We're doing something wrong and then we, we throw them off the end, a bit like somebody in the army, a guy or girl in the army, they get to their 20 years and then they're out. You wonder why they get PTSD. There's no, it's not even let's recondition them, it's about giving them other opportunities and other options. And I think we have a younger generation coming through now who are suffering horrendously. They've followed that seven-way plan, they've been given promises the whole way through, and then they get their bit of university degree paper. The thing that triggered me writing my book was the amount of lovely guys and girls that I used to go see who were sat on a supermarket checkout. I'd have a chat with them, it was nice to know was going through, and they'd all have a degree. And I would say, why are you on a supermarket checkout? And they would often say, well, they've told me it will look good on my CV. And I would often, sadly, be honest and say, I'm sorry, it doesn't look good on your CV. That's not against you. Why does it look good on your CVs? You've been let down by a system that has given you a promise of getting a degree, which could be a passion, which A, you'll never use, and B, won't serve a useful purpose for you with a debt behind it. So I think mental health issues, yes, are, are prominent. It's a long answer, sorry, Andy, but yeah, I think yeah, mental yeah. health issues are now very prominent now because it starts at the child. Often these children are thrust into nurseries at six months of age. They've not got that wonderful parental bonding 
I've always made a point of, regardless how I've worked my business, school holidays, unfortunately, I decided to work for myself since I was 18 years of age. I spent it with our kids. We've done it as a family together. Once you've got that bond and you, you get that comfort and you allow your child to have an individual identity within values, I'm not saying go man on the streets, within values that we all need to respect each other for who we are, then I think we start to open up a world of possibility where we have a generation coming through who are more creative, who are more relaxed, and more than anything, Andy, believe in themselves. Yeah, yeah you're right. And, um, you know, I've got my, you know, say I've got my thoughts on the school system I've mentioned it before on, on, on a couple of the podcasts um, how it's a, it's a pressure from so many sides and it's all we, we live in a, a, a world that is money based um, yes um, very heavily I'm not saying you know, you know someone might say oh well you well, we need it because you need to, well, how are you going to pay your rent and how you do blah, blah, blah. The bottom line is, what I'm trying to say is, those things then culminate in, in added pressures to people's lives. So, for instance, like you were saying there, the, what you're saying there stems from things like um, the government putting pressure on governments or whatever, putting pressure on, on say, say, the schools because they've created a league table. Um, and a league table, and I always, you know, for years I thought, oh god, the league table, league tables. That's what you have in sports. A league table, you know what I mean? Who's on the top? And the ones at the top are the ones that get the, the, the cream of the crop or whatever. The ones below either get relegated or the, in terms of school, they're the ones that get less funding in a sense. Um, so then, then when you target, then you had things like the Sats, and you had kids being targeted that they have to do because then what happens is they start calling themselves a failure uh, even as a young yes. I mean I, you know I was shocked when when I was told that there was there was kids mention, saying the word suicide suicide a kid at, what's a kid at 8 or 7 years old know about suicide they shouldn't know they shouldn't even know that word it shouldn't even be in their vocabulary but kids have tried it they've tried it and they've or they've, or they've got to the point where they've had enough at that age you're thinking you haven't just you haven't lived yet and it's a culmination of all these things putting too much pressure in and um, so they the schools can go to the league, league table and they get the most money and what happens is that you just said there the kids have to then perform performance performance what, do you mean? what performance as a child what performance you know let the kid play and enjoy themselves you know, you learn through play, you learn through enjoyment, you learn winning and losing through and drawing and everything else for enjoyment. And if, you, and if you're a person that wants to be a winner, you, you still learn through enjoyment, but you, then you, you use that as a tool to kind of help you, um, help you when you've won. Do you see what I mean? You have to help you won. So you're right. And it's not giving children, I remember going to school and, you know, people say, oh yeah, back in your day, you know, <laughs> you know the old, the old um, there, there was woodwork, metalwork. Um, I mean, I even know how to knit. I know how to knit. I can sew. Do you know what yeah. I mean? You know, I'm a, you know, I'm a six foot, six foot black man. You know, shaved head or whatever, and and I, and I can knit. I'm not saying put a stereotype, but you know what I mean. I can knit and sew. Do you know what I mean? So 
you know, I was making... And what is wrong with that, Andy? What is wrong with saying that? That's My saying word, you know, you can be self-sufficient and we need to get back to that we world almost yeah, now. Exactly, we need to get back and we need to be teaching kids, you know, how to, you know, maybe how to clean shoes or how to polish and, you know, I'm not yeah. saying get down on the knees and I'm not saying, but we need, it need, it's needed for them to, to build character. Um, and I don't think there's enough, there isn't actually, there's not enough character building with children. And it's affecting the mental health. Um, it is, it is. And you, you talk about the, the chasing of money, this almost a wolf of Wall Street situation here now. I mean, a little bit I mentioned, that's just one of a, a myriad of, of many different things, you know, social media and, and yeah. comparison to other people and such yeah. like. But th- th- there is that hope that it all stems from. I've got a little bit in my book where, I, you know, we you talk about knitting and such like. I've got a, a good friend of mine who, He's a professional comedian, uh, and we're having a talk. I'm having a chat with him about his background. And his dad used to be a university uh, lecturer, and, and, and his expectation of his son was, you know, you need to go get a degree. So he got a degree in textile management and uh, passed his degree, and then lasted like six months in a mill. Hated it. Was told about this new place it was opening called the Comedy Store in London. I think it was. Went down there and learned he could make a fortune telling jokes because it was always funny. Yeah. And I said to Dom, you know, why, why is it? And you've got that that outside mentality now then you know we need to help everybody to find the passion and he's he came up with a very intelligent reasoning yeah but suppose you like pottery you're never going to make enough pots to make a living I went, no you're quite right Dom, as well you know but let's suppose you're very good at making pots and you have 20 people a day in front of you who also want to learn how to make pots and you run classes in making pottery it's your passion and a hundred people a week paying you good money yeah, yeah. to do the same I never thought about that I said no because we're so programmed to believe that we produce that and we sell that when we spread our passion and I would urge any you know you talk about knitting whatever it is I would urge any youngster nowadays to say I don't know what to do to go and learn a trade yeah, you know go and learn a trade whether it be plumbing or whatever but make sure that when you learn that trade it doesn't take over your life and I've been there I had a CCTV bit of CSQ I was working 15 hour days sometimes no say right I'm going to learn it I'm going to become a plumber and I'm going to work it three days a week because I know in those three days a week I can probably earn six seven hundred pounds a week and the other four days I'm going to start doing something which is my passion I don't know if it's pottery or whatever else is and I'm going to find a way to turn my passion into a business that I'll enjoy then when it's big enough I can decide to do the plumbing or not but so let's go back to the old-fashioned trades. Let's learn them. They may become a plumber and think, actually, I really enjoy this. And I'll do it five days because I like it. But do something which immediately gives you a benefit that gives you a chance to start earning those other streams of income. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's about Find your passion and then spread your passion to like-minded people. Yeah, it's about enjoying, and, and enjoying, enjoying what, you, what you like, what your thing is. You know, you quite often, like you say, you hear young people saying, oh, I don't know what I want to do. Or, like you say, fine. What is it? What is it that you? And I always say to them, what is it? Not not what you learnt at school. What is it that you like? Not, not what you. Yeah. Not what you've been. And because what happens is the brain starts thinking about oh well, maths, English. But they don't think about what they they. What's the thing that you like to do? And where you are fairly skilled at it, or you want to learn about it, and how could you get? to learn about so then you can maybe even teach others um, you know I remember being a, I've been a um, I was a football coach scout worked for Leicester Football Club 
for 10 years. But before that, I was, I was working in schools and working for myself, basically. And it was the best time because I didn't see it as work because it was yeah. something that I enjoyed. Do you know what I mean? I didn't see it as, oh, it was, this is work and I'm, I'm looking at the clock. I actually enjoyed doing it, going to coaching sports and coaching football in various schools and, and you know, then driving, driving the kids to Leicester from Nottingham three times a week, four times a week to, to, to take them, scouting them and all that. So it was something, that was a passion of mine. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I worked for the Not Schools FA and even on a Saturday taking the kids to to Leeds and East Riding and all that sort of playing against um, these these sides and and for me it was a it was a passion and my mental health was was at a a level it was you know maybe if I lost you know the, the, you know I'd be yeah. thinking oh why did we lose and but then it would kind of subside through the day because you've lost you go again you don't yeah. you don't make it consume you you've enjoyed the day you've enjoyed yeah. the outing going on the bus traveling the kids you don't make it consume you because then what happens is it piles into the next week, day and the next week or whatever. So you don't enjoy the following week. So it was about, ba- it's about balance and, and what you find enjoyment. So for you, um, what was, what was, what's life been like for you growing up and, and from a young age and, you know, how did you manage to find, what was your journey to where you are now? How did you find I'll, I'll, probably, I'll, I'll probably say something which some people relate to. No. When I was growing up, I felt like I'd been here before or I'd been somewhere before or an energy was part of me. I would think thoughts and I'd take actions that nobody had ever told me to do. Now, I'm not talking some sort of cultist weirdism here. I would do things that would surprise me. It's almost like I knew what to do before somebody had showed me. So I think we call it instinct, whatever that would be. So I was growing up, I had a, a dad that was full of humour, uh, worked hard, became ill in his 40s after a heart attack. I had a mum who was very traditional, came from a, a almost a Victorian family. You know, her parents were, were quite old when, when she was born and they were old when they died, came from late Victorian times, that had a very Victorian work ethic, that her main focus in life was having enough money for your family to survive. And at times they would have a clash between them. And I said to my wife, I remember every Friday afternoon, my dad used to have a shop. Uh, it was a domestic appliance shop who would repair washing machines. And I knew as a child that would be down there in school holidays every Friday, they would have an explosion about money because that was what my mum needed was that abundance of money. So I think it taught me from those early days that money is a useful tool to have, yeah, yeah. but it shouldn't be the main focus in your life, you know. The love of money is the root of all evil, whatever they want to say. Money is not evil in itself, it's how people manipulate it, adapt it, depend on it, which is the, which is the important thing. So I was brought up in a stable background, you know, I love my mum and dad dearly. My brother was a lot older than me, uh, 12 years, so eight years older than me, so he was always that almost half generation away from me. I was treated very well as a kid. Uh, I had a very happy childhood. But a very strange thing, I started junior school. It was in a small village schools outside Leeds. My mum said, he's coming for lunch then. So I started my first day at five years of age, came up from lunch, went, oh, that was good, mum, what am I doing tomorrow? He said, oh no, do you not understand? You now have to go to school and keep going to school. I thought my half day was it, apparently, at five years of age. I quickly, and I don't know what it is, and I relate to this in my book, 
there was something about school that I had an instinct that I didn't like. Just didn't like it. And I was I was a natural sports person. I loved my sport. I was very good at writing English. I would these write twelve page essays because I just used to like using my imagination. And I was good at, at, uh, at mathematics. I always found maths very easy. That was okay. There's nothing I was taught. It was just it came that way. Uh, and, and debating things. So junior school, I was always known as the guy who could do his maths. But actually, Friday afternoon debate time, I'd always get involved in it because I find people fascinating and different opinions. So already at junior school, I'd established this sentiment that something about education didn't feel right to me. And almost from day one, I will use the word detest. I detested education. Uh, I can't tell you why. It wasn't aimed at certain teachers, all right, but it wasn't aimed at anyone in particular. It just didn't feel right. So I went through to a secondary school, which was 12, 15 miles away from home. We had to go by bus. On my final day at school, you know, everything finished at lunchtime, but the bus didn't go home till quarter to four. Well, I walked home. The bus was turning up in the village that I got there. I couldn't wait to get out of the place because I felt like I was being told what to do. I wasn't an individual, even then, I'm going back to the, to the 70s, early 70s now. I was being told what to do. You will become this person, you will get these qualifications. My great relief when I, I left school and got the dream job, somebody told me about, for, for a bank, Yorkshire Bank in Leeds, and I lasted two years because I realised I jumped from a frying pan into the fire. Yeah. I went from a control mechanism of education to a control mechanism of industry or financial. Uh, industry and at 18 I stopped and started working with my dad learned to drive a van a truck went into his business by this time he'd, he'd got his own little holding business and started learning life was it, was it Mark Twain that said I never let schooling get in the way of my education never be wiser words so I then started learning life so I'd, I'd had a happy life you know we, we had simple means I think to live with but all the way through I was never happy and I can reflect back like it was yesterday as I write the next word down for my book that education didn't feel right to me then because it wasn't about Mick Webb it was about a system of conformity and about you will do what you're told and we will give you this much bandwidth to operate within and don't expect to step outside it because you'll go through the seven-way system uh, so I've been a, quite a non-conformist you can probably tell for many years learned a lot from lots of wonderful people just by being here with you today Andy you know I will learn I will take things away from it uh, and I got to learn the value of people good honest genuine people with integrity and love and care and realize actually it's not about what you do it's about the people that you're with which makes life special yeah, yeah. and so you've you've you felt like well, you'd have felt you'd have felt like a lot of children growing up, um, not liking school and just you know, and to be. It's not nice doing something that you don't like. It's not, it, and it would have affected, yeah. and it would have affected your your demeanour. You know how you know how you, you know there'd be days when you would have, just like, oh, do I have to go again? <laughs> do I have to go again? Um, and then it affects, and then that has a, a you know, snowball effect where it affects other parts of other areas of your life. You know, maybe not eating or, you know, people have eating disorders or whatever it may be. Your mental health starts to take its toll. And, and for a child as well, it, it, you, did you find that then it was a, a bit of a, you know, you, you struggled to kind of, you know, maybe turn up every day or, 
Um, yeah, I would. I would. I mean, a combination, and there was an element of bullying there that eventually I fought back against. But that that just adds to the burden as well, does it? I I I test anybody that has a any sort of bitterness or anything towards anybody because all anything like that is called through ignorance. You see, you know, you don't know that person, so you just pick on them anyway. So it was an education system that I didn't relate to. It was a pressure of that at times. Uh, and I would, yeah, cry myself to sleep some night. I remember now, so I'm 61 now, I remember yeah. back to when I was six, seven, eight. I remember crying myself to sleep. Sunday night was the most unpleasant time for me. And then I reflect back now, and I see so many people at work like that. They have the Sunday afternoon fear mentality. And it's all because of the same reason. You are not, and sometimes we've got to do things that we, you know, don't want to do. That's fine. You know, that's understanding sometimes you have to do that. That's about having discipline. But what you don't have to do is formulate your mentality and your life around that pressure. Unless you a pressure of saying, right, you will be that person. You know, you will go to school, you will learn this, and you will go get this job and that qualification. And now we have a, a system now, which you uh, eloquently related to before, Andy, where we have this, children are not children anymore, the data statistics. And I know this, you know, I, I specialize in data analysis at our school. It's not about it. The teachers don't want that. We have SAPs where you said before, all of a sudden, it's, it's, you pass or you fail. So you're either good or you're a failure. We use the word failure, we don't do it. You know, we've got a grading system of education, which makes you look at what you've learned, even in the subjects you don't relate to, and become the person that they say you're going to become. You know, I don't like it. I, I think we've all got natural ability. But the more you bottle it up into somebody, let me just quickly give you an example about two lads in my football, football team. So I coached them at five years of age. When his came along to us, probably within the first year, and uh, he'd be later diagnosed in, in his schooling as ADHD. I loved him a bit. He was great. He had energy, the lad, and he couldn't concentrate sometimes. But he was so committed and so honest, I made him a captain within a couple of years. When he was lively, we'd go to another lap in the field. And he'll say to me today, because he still plays my son's team now at 25 years of age, you know, my son's taking it over. He said, to love it, mate, because he'd suddenly make me go for a run. But he was the most honest, committed player. When he got to secondary school, he didn't fit in to their mould. He was suspended so many times, he couldn't wait to get rid of him. You know, he scraped through exams. One day he turned up at training as a zombie. I remember saying to his mum, is he okay? And she went, oh no, we've had to put him on medication. It was the first time I'd heard of the word Ritalin. Yeah. And when I read it on Ritalin, my word, a doctor had sanctioned a sedative which can have severe psychological impact later on in life to schizophrenia. But a doctor had sanctioned that as something you should give your child so he can go sit at a desk because the school has said he has to sit at a desk. You know what really pleased him more than anything? This lad has turned into a gifted tree surgeon. He was always going to do something manual, in Surrey, leafy Surrey with trees everywhere. His boss is paying him as much as he possibly can do. He said, look, you pass all your qualifications, ironically, well ahead of time. He knows everything. You mention a tree, he's got the Latin name behind him. He is a superb tree surgeon who will go on to have a wonderful business. And yet, he was almost thrown out of skill. What does that tell you about the education system? He was doped to go there. There's another lad there that's my goalkeeper. Exactly the same. He's one of the highest paid project managers now at 25 years of age in Surrey. He found building it. He's a gifted carpenter. He became a, a, a supervisor, worked through to a project manager. And people were fighting over him. Neither of these lads were designed to sit at a desk. 
And I know many children were like that. We've all got different ways that we learn, and the different ways we need to learn different skills. When we actually find those qualities inside individuals, this planet will become a wonderful place. It definitely will. Because we'll release that 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 angst. You know, we'll release that burden of trapped being inside and find a planet full of creativity and hopefully a planet with that generation, a younger generation, they're going to start saying, right, I don't feel sad. I don't feel like I've got no potential. I feel individual. Oh, I'll tell you what, let's go and save the planet as well. Because right now, they're so low in personal esteem. They're so lacking in self-belief. The planet isn't the main objective for a lot of these kids. It's survival. Let's wake them up. Let's get a 30-year-old prime minister, male or female, I don't care what. And let's get these youngsters saying, right, we're taking charge now. Let's make this world worthwhile to live in. And then we might have a future which it has less mental health issues, has more happiness, more appreciation, more value. That gets on better together. That doesn't have prejudices that reflects upon everybody for who they are. Because when you make people content and happy, it's amazing how they're responding other ways. They're not looking to blame everybody then for their circumstances. They're more there to help people. And I think we a metamorphosis in this planet, Andy, yeah. and I think we need to be. I hear, I, I dread it when I hear politicians telling us to get back to the old way. Please don't tell us to do that. Let's move forward to the new way. Let's give them a future. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, you can hear your, your, your passion. Obviously, that's years and years of um, your experiences and your thoughts and what you've seen. Um, you know, when you said that word, <laughs> I hate that word. I hate that word. Uh, Ritalin, oh, because it, it words by it's word by association. We know words are very powerful. I've said this many times on the podcast. Words are very powerful, um, and words create spells. And and that there, that word, it just brings up so much. You know, like I said, I work with kids, I work with children from three years old upwards in various environments, and you know, it, gosh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, when you said it, I thought, oh, no, not again. Um, you know, it, it, it brings up things. I mean, I've had experience with kids, with the children. I've had them, I've been with them, you know, for the week or, you know, how many months or whatever. And, yeah, the parents are struggling to cope or whatever. Give them the tools. Let's try and give them the tools. Let's do something and try and help them. Next minute, the kids are like this. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, no, you, you didn't. You didn't put your child on... You didn't try and put your child in wrestling because they were a little bit, um, you know, not, we call the word naughty, but they were a bit, um, on, you know, in the class. They're, they're just a different learner, aren't they? They're just a different sort of learner. You know, a boy, so let's say a boy, boys tend to be, um, girls tend to be a bit more sedentary. Boys tend to be, you know, they, they, they like to climb trees and, you know, move around more. They don't want to be sat down on sat down on the chair for six hours do you know what I mean six hours out of your life every day for the next how many years it's not great yeah. it's not good for your mental health so you know like you say it doesn't give them the opportunity to, to express what's inside of them what is inside of you as a child as a young person um, and quite often like you say when they get to teenage age they, 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 they've forgotten or they don't know and it's almost like you have to be the advocate to kind of pull it out of them you kind of have to you you need to be you need to be that person not just as a father because even if you're a father or a mother sometimes you can't pull it out of them it might need somebody 
outside because they've become conditioned to think, oh, well, um, you as a, yes, you've got my best interest at heart, but maybe I need to hear it from somebody else. Maybe I need to hear it from this person or, do you know what I mean? They kind of get, yeah, because they've been channeled to, to only hear information from the teacher or whatever it is. And they haven't been, you know, I always said this, that, I say this to people quite often, that you could be, you could be the next um, four ball rifle shooter in the in in Olympics. You could be that person. You could hit thirty and still be in the you know forty, and you could still be in that team. And we're talking. We, you were talking about the we're talking about age and what we can't do at a certain age. Obviously, you couldn't be. You know, I'm not saying you couldn't, but you couldn't be a footballer. You know, running around all over the place with a modern, with 28 year olds or whatever in a professional game. But you could be a four ball yeah. rifle shooter if your eyesight's good and you, your arm, your arm steady at, at 40 years Gosh. old. So Gosh. it's about bringing those things out. And sometimes we have those. I think I'm, I'm giving that analogy of the Olympics of because quite often you do have people who are who are a bit older that are following the passion in the Olympics. Um, you know. You know, somebody who's a, a mailman, but because the mailman pays the being a mailman pays them, they yeah. wage, they can still do a sport, something that they love, and they might coach kids with it. You know, after yeah. done the, so yeah, mental health is very, very um, important. So for you, after, what what found what made your passion? Obviously, there's a passion there. How did you how did you find your path to to then be working with? young people and how did that come to, come did it come to you did you look go looking for it no I, I think it was almost accidental in some ways you know i i i think because of, of, of i always had this probably childish mentality of always got my kids pretty well you know i can i can come out of their level rather than coming up to mine and then because i've always been such a committed footballer and i i played adult football and coached an adult team as well whilst i was playing with them then when it came to to be uh, I bumped into a, one of my, my best friends down here now, didn't really know him then, uh, a do-it-yourself store. And he said, oh, you know, why don't you just come along and, and bring Jack down and, uh, and help me coach the team? I suddenly saw these kids who were in front of me that I thought, my word, you know, it didn't matter what ability they were then. They were enjoying doing what they were doing. And they were kicking a football, I thought, well, if we put a bit of structure into it and we show them what they can do with it, you can almost teach them lots of other individual skills. You know, you've got mathematics, you've got English with communication skills. When you're actually going to go on a football pitch, you've got these statistical analysis of your season and your matches. You know, you can, when you see kids that love that sport, we had a group of kids that love football. Who made a decision? You know, I had a decision what sort of team do you want to be? A team that is just a, a gentle team that's happy to just turn up there and not really care about results. Or do you want to be a competitive team? And I'll cut you accordingly because they all went, yeah want to win great that's okay then I'll tell you what we're going to do first of all we're going to learn how to lose because the only way you appreciate winning is when you learn how to lose first so you get that balance you mentioned before so we had a team that wanted to win was could be upset when they lost but it wasn't overwhelmed and it was part of a process they appreciate that so through that football team from five years right through I uh, became a governor at our junior school because we're at a time where just started running after school clubs and were down there so they knew the people around 
Ian Newman because the football coach so I became a governor there so that interaction then was with the school children so I then started building up that picture of, of education and the wonderful people within education of the leaders and the teachers there's some wonderful people in there but I saw a system I became aware of a system which was flawed uh, so it was really through football that got me into it and then it became through after school clubs athletics and we then free of charge would coach the cross country team which was a, a passion of mine uh, would coach the athletics team for district sports from long jump to throwing to distance to sprinting etc and you could see the impact that you could have on kids and sometimes it wasn't just an impact of those taking part we would have anybody could go to the trials across country and those that didn't want to do could all watch and seeing kids on the sideline cheering their friends on they were part of that process. There was a warmth around the school that sport brings out, which other things can't. You know, and, and you could see that and it was such a special day that you realised that you could make an impact on these kids. So it was almost an, an accidental evolution that you went from one thing to another. So rather than leave that behind like winning a medal, you just added on to it by doing something else. But all the time you could sense that this is a very important part of the process of keeping people happy, not just children. It's parents watching them play. These parents understanding that there's a way of watching them play without actually being them and being involved, you know, of enjoying them play and enjoying them learn. So it became a, a community environment. And it was there where I think I started appreciating you know, these boys and girls on the tills with degrees and such like, and I started reflecting around. So I couldn't put my finger on one point. Perhaps it was when I started coaching my young my uh, lads team at five years of age. Yeah. I didn't do that with the intention of suddenly becoming, I don't know, any sort of mind set person or an author or anything else. I did it because actually I loved giving back because that sport had given me so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was an evolution uh, and it's where I am today when I finish my book. That will probably go all the way back to there. Then from that, I reflected back about my childhood and working experience. And, and the whole thing becomes a picture where when you interview people, as I did lots of interviews from 18 to 30s, and I started thinking, hang on a minute, my feelings, my opinions are not alone. I see more people who were like me, even though I went to school in the 60s and 70s, I see more people that are still like me in the 1990s and, and 2000s than, than there were then people craving for individuality so it's been a wonderful journey Andy but it's been a journey because I've become consciously aware of it I haven't been one of the of the many masses out there that simply go through life by unconscious reaction moaning and groaning and moving on I would sit back and reflect upon the world around me sometimes and I'd be consciously aware which I think we need to be about the impact we can have as individuals but also the impact the environment people are brought up in can have upon them as well. So, the long answer, Andy, wasn't it? Yeah, but I didn't yeah, start at any particular yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was an accidental start. But I love where it is. I hope I can continue to do good. I, I want a book when it's finished to go out there to be controversial, people to criticise me, because I think there's a wonderful thing. You get people thinking in whatever way. I don't care if they go and burn it. If it's made them think, yeah. then you go and burn it. That's great. But I just want to give people not just that generation, the younger generation below it and the older one, our sort of generation, the chance to re-examine who they are and see if they can actually have an input on this planet. Yeah. 
and make it a happier place. I know you're fixed for time, and I was going to ask you before we get into the book and what you actually do now to, to, to for your business and what you do to to help people. You know, I often mention because I like to know from people the coping mechanism. You spoke about your coping mechanism as a to deal with. Um, we we'll call it trauma, bullying, and trauma of going to dare I say it, trauma of going to school, because um, it is a trauma. You know, I'm laughing, but it's, it's a trauma. When I'm laughing, I'm, I'm kind of going, yeah, wait, wait a minute, it is a trauma. To, to for some people, that would be a trauma to go to school. Some people, some kids might enjoy it. So we say enjoy for the, for someone who likes it, but we don't say trauma for someone who doesn't. We never say that. No one ever says that. No. no one ever says that. No. They always say, oh no, go to school, or, you know, oh, you had a bad, or you didn't have a good time at school. They never say it's traumatic. They always, but they say this person, another person over here, is happy to go to school, but never ever say traumatic. So, what I was going to say to you there yeah. is, you as a child, you said you used to cry. How, as an adult, when things have, because things will affect us as an adult, you know, we're human beings, whether it's death, um, something to do with our children, or, you know, even dropping a, a glass of, you know, milk or whatever, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, what was, I don't think milk comes in a bottle now, but do you know what I mean? What was your, what was your, what are your coping mechanisms? I think now, obviously when you're younger, you don't have a coping mechanism, you just, react you know you get upset and if you get upset to a, a deep degree then that's where you can get problems my upset and bullying became anger and i fought back that's why i was a shocker i'm not proud when i look back in a football picture i was a competitive footballer but i was horrendously indisciplined you know i was i've been a referee's nightmare sent off 10 times because i'd had that never never for doing something bad to them but if they did something to me i would retaliate and i think that was because i was still fighting you know now I read a lot of books, there's some wonderful gurus out there. I'm happy with myself. I'm really, really happy with myself. I've got the most beautiful wife inside and out. We've been together for, for 28 years now, who has had problems. You know, she had severe anxiety issues, was agoraphobic, would even struggle to go 300 yards to get the kid from school and set off to the supermarket. And she'd be bashing the dashboard to turn around and come back again. She was in a dark place. But she's also my strength because I've seen how she has had to go through that and still in the back of her mind and all be there. So my wife has always been a strength. Uh, our kids, we're a family unit, Andy. I think being a family unit, having kids are not there, I think. You know, you get some parents that the kids would go on the first school trip. We would be beaten up over it. We couldn't wait for them to come back. They'd be waving off saying, I can't wait for them to go. Can't wait for them to go. You know, 25 is Jack, his girlfriend lives here with us. Do we worry? No, I love it. M20 boyfriends have been with us for two years. Love them a bit. It's great. You know, and Maddie's 16 still here. I actually love that. That gives you a warmth, and if it can be such a thing as a, a coping mechanism, it can be there. But I actually quite like a consciousness now. I like to think if somebody doesn't like me, that's their choice. I don't get upset about it. If somebody goes into a blame mentality, then I see why that is. It's, it's people fighting and getting back. I think we need to be at peace with ourselves, Andy. We need to be happy with who we are. Who we are. Isolate away from money and power and ambition. Let's just become 
very happy people with who we are. And let's open up that vibration and that frequency to come in, attract the right sorts of people. I think my coping mechanism is silence sometimes. Lock me in a dark room if you could, for as long as I want it to be. Let my mind process, let it get rid of all that rubbish, and then let's move on. Except we're all human beings. Somebody who can be angry with me today, probably not angry with me, they've probably got a real difficult part of life they're going through. Let's not see people for the reaction they are, because it's our reaction to them that creates a situation. Let's see them as people who are living in quite a difficult world now. So let's give them a chance to breathe as well. So I'll listen to myself breathe. I'll slow down. I will almost step out and look at myself and think, I'm not handling this very well, am I? You know, I may have said something to somebody that I don't believe I should have done. Uh, I think honesty, integrity and calm and just liking people, everybody in the world, if we can look at them and you travel the world, we've done it a little bit. I don't think there's many bad people out there. You get the, the odd one who is just born that way, maybe to test us, whatever it is. I'm, I'm not a psychologist, I can't examine that. But we've been around a lot of different countries and I absolutely think people are great. I spent a fortnight in Barbados once, going to the local rum bar, despite it's down just down the road from us. But it's, you know, you should be going to local bars. I had the greatest fortnight ever talking cricket to these guys. I didn't pay for any rum all for a fortnight, I don't think, now there. You were there, but Barbados were the nicest people I'd ever met in my life. Why? Because I let them be nice people. I became one of them. We didn't have any prejudice. We, except I was a Yorkshire cricket fan and they were probably a West Indian cricket fan. It was banter, it was fun. But we liked each other. We need to get a world that actually cares for each other a bit more, accepts us as individuals. And that's the greatest coping mechanism you can have when you become happy with yourself and you give other people the chance to be happy with themselves as well. Let's talk about, you know, I know you've pushed the time. What's, let's talk about you know, where you are now, at now, you know, you're at calm, you're at peace. The things that you're doing, the book that you're writing, you know, tell the world about, you know, the people listening and yeah, just give okay. an, an insight of what, what's into your mind, okay. what you're doing. The, the book, not surprisingly, is called Smashing the Cage because that's a cage of conformity that we need to open up. And I think if we can smash that out and it's about changing the, the, the past mechanisms, changing the expectation of conformity and allowing people to become individuals. So that's there. And I thought I was almost finished it. And then lockdown occurred and it made me look at great see how people reacted. We were sitting there sometimes people were actually becoming better people because they were spending time with what they wanted rather than this mad rush of life. So the book is there. I'd like to hope by the end of the year I'll get in a position where it's finished. Uh, we still run after school clubs uh, a football club starts again this Monday after six months off with, with lockdown so we're back to football and fitness athletics coaching and giving them a bit of fun as well at the same time still a school governor uh, we accidentally came across a business uh, that deals with CBD uh, 23 months ago and of course strangely enough when you look at CBD the amount of people approach us to say I've got anxiety issues Will it help? And that's what they try it. You know, they've often done their own research about it. So that business has, has really taken off and it's taken off as well because we work alongside an American company, very, very honorable people, wonderful products, but because there's demand now for this banned product, you know, it's been out there for all the wrong reasons. There's you know, nothing wrong with them, but all CBD comes from. Uh, so we run that business as well. Uh, I'll do football refereeing still. 
enjoyed that. I'm a calmer person now. I've stepped on the other side, uh, so to speak, and then realised refereeing is not easy, and I respect referees a great deal now. Uh, I support my last football team. We go and watch him. You know, we we have quite a nice life. What we don't have is a materialistic life. We have simple things. You know, I don't need to go out and buy expensive cars, expensive clothes. We're a big part of our local community. My wife and I have learned the skill and enjoyment of walking in lockdown. Yeah. So we'll go, I run boot camp still, boot camp three times a week, Saturday, Tuesday night, and Thursday night, in between times, we'll go out for a two or three mile walk. And actually just listen to nature, bump into people, say hello, have a chat, come back feeling refreshed. Yeah. So life is a wonderful balance now, like nature has designed it to be. And I think instead of it being like this, as most people lives are, ours is just sort of like that. Yeah. It's got a few nice little waves in there which make you appreciate situations. There's not a lot of storms about. If there are, I think we're prepared that if anything like that happens. You know, my mum died in April through COVID. 94, though, she was fragile and anything could have taken her. What was I grieving? No. I'd had her for 60 years, and they, yeah. You know, it was a wonderful life. She was ready to go. I believe, you know, we leave this body behind and an energy goes out there somewhere. Uh, there's only so much energy in this universe. So I don't, I don't believe in grieving. I believe in appreciating. And, uh, you know, life, if it keeps going like that, then, you know, it's, it's a wonderful place to be. Yeah. We just need to look after this beautiful place we call our planet. That's all now. You're certainly right. You're certainly right. We need, do need to look after the place. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we can. We spoke earlier, and I'm sure we can do this again, another chat, because I would like to delve more into how you feel about the spiritual side and what we talked about the atoms and you know, and just talk about those sort of things. I mean, even if it's a you know, a short one or a long one, it doesn't depend. Um, I'd like to go on that because I think um, you're obviously a very passionate person about the planet, the humans, and how we connect. Um, and you've, you know, you've, like you say, you've, you've, yeah, the mental health side of human beings needs to change, needs to be changed communication, people talking more, people opening up more. Um, what would you say to somebody out there that maybe young person, old person, and, you know, just a person struggling with mental, you know, mental health, you know, their mental health, physical health. Um, someone who's tried to, who's gotten injured, injured, and they're trying to make their way back up. What would you say to somebody out there to, to kind of inspire? I would. Interesting question, isn't it? It's an in-depth question. I would try and take them out of their, their pretense of a human body to start with. I'd, I'd try and find out who they were to start with, why they were feeling like they were, which is not an easy question, but it's only when we find out who they are. We find out what their frustrations are, when it's a long-term injury they can't get around, why that sentiment is. There's no magic question to, to ask them. I think it's about, it's a little bit the, the, the thing about a coach or a teacher. This Victorian mental attitude of, of, of teaching is sit down and show up, I don't know who you are, is not what happens. You have to build a relationship with people and the people you get respect from is those people you build a relationship with that respond to you. I think speaking to somebody who had those problems 
I would say I wouldn't want to just speak to it once. I'd want this to be the start of a, of a journey where we can discover each other, we can exchange ideas. You can get to find out who you really are because when you're in that, that dark place, that, that pit of despair, you see nothing but darkness, nothing. And somehow we've got to help shine a light in, into that. And we'll only shine a light into that by them actually opening up and looking at themselves. Genuinely, honestly having that consciousness to think, right, why am I here? You know, what do I want to be? Because everybody's got something inside them that they want to be. Yeah. They've been an ice hockey player or an astronaut. They've all got something inside them that they want to be. And I think it's the greatest thing we can give them is self-belief. That, that doesn't happen with one question. It happens with a process. Not of analysing their cognitive thoughts and such like, of actually just this. I'd, I had a girl on the phone a while ago. She was she canvassed me on the telephone about Greenpeace. And we ended up just having a lovely chat and she had been recorded up about the sack at the end of it. And the poor girl was crying at the end of it. And I went, I haven't spoken to me crashing. It's not tears, she said. I feel so happy that somebody's actually talked to me about it. I asked her what she'd love to do. I forgot what it even was now. I said, well, then go and do it. But I can't. Why not? And this conversation for 20 minutes should have been a countless conversation. I didn't sign up for Greenpeace. Uh, but it was that somebody had actually had just that calm to spend a bit of time and ask her who she was. And I don't know, I hope she went away from there and thought, I can do that. You know, he said before, Andy, you know, I can do it. You know, why can't I do it? I'm that person that can achieve these things in life. And I think if it's somebody that has these problems now, the first thing we have to work on is their despair. Because at that time, they don't have any hope. Yeah. Um, so, well, well, kind of, um, like I say, you've got, you've got another appointment. You know, I'd like to say thank you for coming on and chatting and just, you know, just opening opening up doors, opening up people's eyes in terms of what, how, how you see education, how you see life, because education is part of life, how you see life. Um, I think it's, I think, like I say, I'd like to have you back on again to talk about, talk some more, because I think, I think we've only just touched the surface, to be honest. Um, we, both... no, Andy, we can talk on that and all day and that, you know, I, I really thank you for the invite, I've, I've loved being on here and yes, there is such a great depth to, to the wonderful work that you're doing that, you know, if you can make 1% difference a half 1% difference to people just by having debates like this, then we're helping so I'm more than happy to come on again, it's been wonderful, I really do thank you for the time yeah. and, um, you know you know, sorry for the loss, and and you know, and I hope your you, your family stays well. We we'll definitely get this on. We can, maybe we can talk. We can do this next week. Maybe you know, if you're free, do the second part of it. Talk about something else. You know, to do like say the spirituality of it. Um, yeah, it's been brilliant having you on. Thank you very much, Andy. It's been a pleasure. And that was men are nuts. Speak to you soon.